Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Let's pray together. Father, I pray you would open our hearts and minds today to understand what you have just said to us. The power of these words. How it should define our life, our thoughts, our energy, and our future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may have caught it in that verse, but I want to ask you a question as we begin today, it is rhetorical, don't answer back. Are you happy? Are you happy? We love that word. We use it a lot in all kinds of things. As I've already said, happy Mother's Day, happy New Year, happy Halloween, happy wife, happy life. You've heard that. Happy landings, happy as a lark, happy days, happy as a pig in the mud, happy as a dog with two tails. Happy as a clam. I didn't know clams were happy. Happy-go-lucky, trigger-happy, or a happy camper. <laughs> Finding a happy place. Are you in your happy place? Usually when I was a kid growing up in church, I would sit there not listening to a word of the sermon. I would go to my happy place in my mind and stay there until that boring preacher finished. Maybe you're in your happy place right now. And finally, for you sinners, happy hour. Happiness. <laughs> what does that mean? Can we have it? Can we find it? What does it take to get it? Are you happy? So today's message is entitled simply Finding Happiness. Finding Happiness. Well, happiness, whatever that may be, is an integral part of the American dream. The Declaration of Independence itself states we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, that's God, with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Many people have strong opinions about happiness. You can go all the way back several thousand years to the Greek philosopher Aristotle. He said, happiness depends upon ourselves. Abraham Lincoln said most folks are about as happy as they make up their mind to be. Albert Einstein simply said, a table, a chair, a bowl of fruit, and a violin. What else does a man need to be happy? <laughs> Rocker David Lee Roth said, money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you a yacht big enough to pull right up alongside it. <laughs> Writer Ernest Hemingway says, happiness is in intelligent people is the rarest thing I know. Actor Groucho Marx, of all people, perhaps got closest. He said, I, not events, have the power to make me happy or unhappy today. I can choose which it shall be. Yesterday is dead. Tomorrow has not arrived yet. I have just one day. Today
a crack team back there that figured it out in like five seconds. That's good. Thank you for that. Where on earth was I? <laughs> oh, <laughs> thanks, thanks for narrowing it down to the entire sermon. <laughs> there is some truth in what Groucho Marx said, but I think he's really talking about contentment. And in that respect, Groucho Marx and many others have it right. The Bible tells us to be content in any circumstance. Paul shares with young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says this, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. In other words, Paul says, if we just have the basic necessities to stay alive, be content with that. If you get anything more, that's great, but be content with what you have. That's not really what I'm talking about today, about happiness. Happiness is actually more than contentment. Someone once said, happiness is more than a look of satisfaction. It's a big fat smile across your face. So today, let me give you three basic truths about happiness. Truth number one, we can't make ourselves happy. I'll start with a bang. You cannot make yourself happy. Sorry, I know you think you can, but you can't. Did you know that nowhere in the Bible does it say that we can make ourselves happy? In fact, the Bible doesn't use the word happy very much. Just a couple of passages. That is, according to God's word, we do not and cannot produce happiness. Now, God calls us to bear fruit and bear good fruit. There's tremendous satisfaction in that. But we cannot create happiness. While I have great respect for the Constitution, it is technically inaccurate. I know that's blasphemy. <laughs> happiness is not something you pursue. You'll never catch it. Even if you can, it wouldn't stay for very long. The truth is we cannot find, pursue, or create happiness. Only God can do that. He's the creator of all things, including happiness. Fortunately, he's willing to share that happiness with you. As Jesus said in the passage that I read a while ago, did you catch it? Come and share in your master's happiness. He didn't say, go away and be happy. Go away and you found happiness. He says, come and share. It's an invitation. So only God produces happiness and only those he invites to participate in that happiness are ever truly happy. So in light of that, what we do, because that's a challenge, we can't make happiness, and we like to think that we're in charge of everything, so we just make a whole lot of fake happiness. <laughs> We've become really good at it, pretend happiness. So there's God's happiness, which is real happiness, and there's the world's happiness, which is fake. It's not real, and I can prove it. I wanna compare the two first, the world's happiness is something you strive for. If I do this, if I have that, if I meet that goal or marry that person or move to that location or have that career or overcome that challenge, then I will be happy. So what would it take to make you happy? Complete this sentence, again, rhetorical to yourself. I would be happy if blank. I would be happy if blank. How would you fill in the blank? What would truly make you feel happy? 
Suppose you did actually find a magic lamp. You rubbed on the side, a genie popped out and gave you three wishes. Literally, three things, three wishes, anything you want. Would that make you happy? Now, it's not going to happen, by the way. It wouldn't make you happy. I can already tell you this. Because human happiness is not sustainable. It's elusive. It isn't real. I can, I can share you with you probably someone who ought to have been the happiest in history if the pursuit of happiness could be found, and it was a guy named Solomon. Look with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. The smartest, richest guy on the planet. The Bible says the smartest guy ever been, been made by God in the, before or since. Nobody has been like Solomon. And yet, this is what Solomon says. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what's good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine, embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the hearts of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Striving for happiness will lead us to disappointment every time. He was the richest king on the planet. He had so much money. He had so much gold. He plated his palace in gold. He had 500 gold shields that were just lining the walls. It was just gold on gold on gold. It was really, he had a throne. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights as we studied the throne of Solomon, it was awe-inspiring. In fact, the, the, the queen of, of Egypt came up to see him. Of Egypt, pyramids, they had the pyramids at the time. They had all the sphinx and all, all the grandeur of Egypt was in its prime. She went to see Solomon. She was overwhelmed, the Bible said. She'd never seen anything like it. That was Solomon. Plus, he had a thousand wives. My goodness. <laughs> And what did he come to the conclusion? Ooh, everything is meaningless. So you can't make yourself happy. You will never do it. You'll never have this much, by the way. Even if he did, you'll come to the same conclusion, meaningless, meaningless. So first, we cannot make ourselves happy. Secondly, others can't make you happy either. I know this is depressing, isn't it? It has a happy ending, by the way. There's the word. So hang with me just for a little bit. You can't make yourself happy, and other people can't make you happy either. I think the question of what will make me happy is really often, who will make me happy? My banker? My spouse? My family? My God? 
It is the misguided belief that your happiness is found in others, is the responsibility of others. They are the key, your own personal genies. Are you using your family and friends like your own genie and you expect them to make you happy? This self-obsessed, self-focused world gives us the ridiculous idea that that's why other people are here, to make us happy. (laughs) Have you ever known anybody like that? And if that doesn't happen, just get rid of that person, that spouse, that friend. I mean, what good are they if they can't make you happy? I can't tell you how many times I've heard people going through divorce say to me or others, they just weren't making me happy. Or their friends will say, you deserve to be happy. And if your spouse isn't making you happy and this other person that you're seeing on the side is making you happy, then you need to leave your spouse and go with this other person because you have to be happy. And if it causes pain to your family, your kids, or anyone else, then so be it. You deserve to be happy. They even say it's really your spouse's fault because they're supposed to make you happy. Listen to me. No one can make you happy. Now, spouses, you're not off the hook. You should be a good husband, a good wife. You should do what the Bible tells you to do and love your spouse and sacrifice for them. Spend time with them and pour your heart into that relationship. God expects that of you. You should not be a disappointment to your spouse but you cannot make your spouse anything, let alone happy. Even worse, people often think that's why God exists, to make us happy. That's his job, like Santa Claus. (laughs) No, where do we get that? God wasn't created in our image. We were created in his image. He don't need you or me, and it's not his job to make you happy. Jesus is not up in heaven thinking, scratching his head, thinking, oh my goodness, how can I make them happy? Oh, what what can I give them? That's not his function. And of course, we're the ones defining happy. And it's funny, happiness is usually what? We want things to go smooth, you know, bills to pay, security, nice house, car, great family, respectful kids. You know, we got a list. You have a list. I have a list of what things we think might make us happy, and it's all wrong. In fact, that kind of thinking begs the question, what do you think it will take to make you happy? Why is that important? Because you can't produce happiness. People can't produce happiness. You can't produce happiness. All that you and I can do to be happy is to share in our master's happiness. And let me tell you, the master's happiness is better than any happiness that we can come up with in this world. In order for anyone or anything outside of God to make you happy, you have to dilute the definition of happiness to something material or emotional. In fact, if you think God wants you to find happiness in external things, how do we explain passages like 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12? This is Peter speaking, and he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering. There he already has used the word painful and suffering and trial, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. 
He talks about suffering and persecution and trials and difficulties. That's not my definition of happiness. I like the yacht definition better. <laughs> but that's because people don't understand what true happiness really is. So how do we share in God's happiness if the only way we can find happiness is to share in God's happiness? That's the question, is it not? That's the lifelong question. How can I share in God's happiness? If that's the only way to be happy, how can I do that? Well, let's look at this important parable. Now, I don't usually put this much scripture up there in one time, but I'm going to read the entire parable to you and a, a brief paragraph after that Jesus shared. These are all the words of Christ because you find out the context of the parable in the last paragraph. But let's look at the parable in its entirety. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Jesus says this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done and good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I'll harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And notice, that would have been the easy thing to do, the minimal thing to do, the safe thing to do, and he didn't even do that. The interest that he would have gotten in the bank would not have been twofold. It would have been minimal, but at least there would have been some small amount of interest, and the lazy servant didn't even do that. Verse 28. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents, for everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ooh. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, these are the words of Christ. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So what does that mean? Well, certainly the stakes are high. You're going to end up a sheep or a goat. 
And what he means by that, he's going to separate us and there will be happiness forever for one group and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for the other. There will be light for one group and darkness, it says, for the other group. So for you and me, the answer is twofold. First, the parable is about surrender. It's about surrender. The Bible calls us to surrender our lives, our talents, our energy, our finances, our time, and our thoughts to Christ. They don't belong to us anymore. We've surrendered to him. That's what surrender means. There's no half surrender, partial surrender. In the Bible, there's only one surrender. If you lost the battle in the first century and you're at war with another nation and you bring out the white flag and you go over to the, to the other king and say, we surrender, I surrender. I'll surrender this and that, but I'm not surrendering this or that over here. Well, the king would just kill you and they would all be slaughtered. When the battle is over and the surrender happens, it's complete unconditional surrender. That's what Christ calls you and I to do, to surrender him to him completely, utterly, not half, not in part, but in whole. The parable is about surrender. The Bible calls us to surrender our lives to him. We belong to him. And all that we have belongs to him. That's what surrender is. We don't belong to us anymore. All we are and all we have belong to God. Secondly, this parable is not just about surrender. It's about faithfulness in that surrender. Now, make I'm going to make this very clear. He's not talking about stuff we do to earn our salvation. There is no stuff that we can do to earn our salvation. It is the grace of God. It is his mercy through the blood of Christ. I always say that and always will. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the evidence of our surrender. It's about faithfulness. Life is short and Christ will return. We are to be wisely investing what belongs to God, our life and all that we are and all that we have. I know I always say this and other pastors say this in every generation. And I've said this recently, I'll say it again. Time is coming to an end. I really think Christ will come in my lifetime. I have every reason to think that. If you don't believe that, just turn on the news. When Christ returns, you and I don't want to be caught off guard. We don't want to be caught goofing around, wasting time on pointless, meaningless endeavors. It also means the happiness we're allowed to share in is eternal. Now, here's, the, here's our rub about happiness. The world's happiness, it's fake, versus God's happiness, which is genuine. The world's happiness is fake, but it's right now. The lottery, oh, just call out that magic number. You're looking at the ticket. Boom, instant millionaire or now billionaire. Well, not after taxes, millionaire. <laughs> we, I love the ideal of that. And I'm a pastor. Now I don't buy lottery tickets because again, as I've told you, the, the odds are the same whether you buy a ticket or not. But I like the ideal of that, just instant gratification, instant wealth, instant solutions to all of our financial problems in life. Have you not, don't, don't raise your hand, have you not thought about the first things that you would do if you won the lottery? Do you not already have a list in your mind? 
Oh, got to pay off the house. Got to get rid of that crummy car. Go buy a brand new car. You know, put the kids through college, start college funds. I mean, you have a list of things that you would do. Well, forget that. You just forgot all about that. See, we like the ideal of fake happiness because it's instant. It's right now. How many people fall prey to get rich schemes because they want it right now? Where our master's happiness for us to share in that, we may have to wait a little while. But listen to me. That happiness is real happiness and it's forever. We think today, God thinks eternity And God's desire for you because he loves you is an everlasting kind of happiness that will never fade or be taken away. I've shared with you before, I've waited, I waited 33 years to find my wife. I didn't want to wait 33 years. That wasn't my plan. My plan was 18 years. I wanted to get married long before I met my wife. In fact, if I could have, I would have. God knew that. He knew he had a plan for me. He knew exactly what that plan was. And he he knew that that plan was a plan of blessedness through the current wife that I have. And she's awesome. I am so thankful. I thank God all the time that he didn't let me do something stupid and get married when I was 18. I would have messed it up. Oh, my goodness. And you know what God did? Because he didn't want me to mess it up because I was young and dumb. And I would have messed it up. God gave me uh, a big nose and uh, made me about that big around and get no social skills to, to make sure that no girl would come near me. Because I'd have married whoever come along. I sometimes call Cherry my second wife because my first wife apparently wouldn't go out with me. <laughs> you see, God had a plan. He had a path. And it wasn't instant. I wanted instant. But God wanted a blessed path. Not a quick path, a blessed path. Listen to me. God has blessed happiness waiting for us. Everlasting happiness. Now we can start to share in that in this life. But the bulk of it will come in the next 50 trillion years. And he will still be allowing us to share in his happiness. Are you happy? Pray with me. Father, as we come to you today, we confess that we often look for happiness in the wrong places, anywhere and everywhere but apart from you. And even with you, we somehow treat you like Santa Claus, like you're just, we give you a list and you're supposed to give us stuff we want. Oh, forgive us. Forgive us for substituting genuine happiness in you with the fake happiness this world has to offer. Doesn't last. As Solomon reminds us, a thousand wives later, a thousand projects later, a thousand figures later, it was all meaningless. Help us to understand the purpose of the parable was to warn us that our Savior is going to return and we're not to be caught off guard. That if we want to share in our Master's happiness, the only source of true happiness, we need to surrender to Jesus Christ. Not partly, there's no partial surrender. 
absolute surrender, all that we have, all that we are, all that we hope to be belongs to him. Father, having done that, we understand the parable is about faithfulness. That as good stewards, that you have blessed us with so much, you have placed the Holy Spirit in us. That you have a plan and a place for us to be. You have a calling on our life to give our life purpose and meaning and glory for you. And it is only through that faithfulness that we experience the Master's happiness. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Have you done that? Have you surrendered? Are you faithful? God wants you to be happy. He's not going to make you happy. He's going to do one better. He's going to let you share in his happiness. For he's the source. Will you do that today? Maybe you want to come up and say, Pastor, I want to surrender to Christ. Absolute surrender. Or maybe you've been struggling with faithfulness. You've surrendered to Christ, but you have not been as faithful as you would like to be, or you know that God wants you to be, and you're not ready for His return. I challenge you to come and get on your knees and spend some time in prayer and say, God, help me to get ready. Help me to be faithful. Help me to stop living for myself and remind me to live for you. I want to be a good steward. I want to invest wisely, spiritually, in your kingdom, in the life that I've given to you. And maybe God has called you to do that through membership in this church. You want to come forward and say, Pastor, we'd like to join with First Baptist Church. If God is speaking to you right now, here's your opportunity. While we pray, you come. Would you stand? As everyone stand, all heads are bowed, all eyes are closed. And as you pray right now, God is giving you an opportunity. You come.